Welcome to the Coast to Coast podcast. My name is Kyle. And I'm Misha. And today we're going to be talking about the Safdie Brothers' new thriller, Uncut Gems, as well as a little recap of 2019 at the movies and a look forward to 2020. And we'll wrap up with uh, our thoughts on the Golden Globes. Um, but before that, we've got a lot of catching up to do. So I know it's been about, what, almost like three weeks now since our last episode? Yeah. What's, uh, holidays what's new with you? kind of kind of thrown things on a whirlwind but <clears throat> i think going forward we're gonna be back to our uh, regular scheduled programming um <clears throat> but besides besides all the things that have happened in those three weeks one thing that stood out to me that i kind of wanted to briefly mention was i've noticed um and a lot of people are kind of upset about this disney plus um yeah they have been removing movies already like all of like i appreciate all the home alone movies have already been removed Really? Um, some of the um, the Sandlot and I think one of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies have also been removed so people are kind oh, of weird. Um, confused about that and like why they're removing these films And but I guess you haven't noticed so I guess that's good no I haven't noticed I haven't been really active on it except for finishing The Mandalorian mm-hmm. um, but yeah that's odd I mean I guess Home Alone makes sense with the holiday season being over but right because i didn't even know that was a disney movie but uh yeah that's, has disney like released anything about why they decided to do that um so what i've seen is so a spokesperson for disney just mentioned that beloved classics from the disney vault including your traditional like snow white and little mermaid and the lion king right. they'll have a quote permanent home on our service um but it doesn't seem like when they use the word permanent home, that obviously means that there's room for temporary homes for other titles. And I don't know if it's like an ownership thing because I mean, if they own all these movies, they should just keep them on the service unless there's some sort of like bandwidth server thing where you can't just like overload it. I know like Netflix will occasionally like, like run things through and take them off and remove them and add them back Mm -hmm. but but netflix is a little bit different because they don't own anything besides their own originals where this is a disney platform and they own all the content that's on yeah they have all the the rights to all the movies and i mean there are tons of movies on disney plus Mm -hmm. but yeah it seems like the only reason to do something like that would be to, to save like bandwidth but it's yeah. really odd. It seems kind of like a like a PR misstep to not necessarily like give people the full information about stuff like that. Yeah, and they they didn't. I know Netflix. They'll like release a list of what's being removed. Disney Plus didn't do that this time. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're kind of sticking behind themselves where they say, um, "Well, we never actually promised that the various offerings on Disney Plus would remain there." indefinitely yeah that's kind of cheap yeah it's like come on like but they're disney yeah (laughs) speaking of disney uh i saw star wars twice over the break um i know you released sort of a episode about star wars but um as a star wars fan i I enjoyed the ending of it but um what are your kind of like quick thoughts on star wars yeah so i ended up seeing it a second time um, so I went once opening day and then like a few days later and I'm still not completely sold on it. I, in, I, it was an entertaining movie. I enjoyed, um, 
the story and seeing all the characters and mm-hmm. um, and all that. But from a more critical eye, especially since we've been doing this podcast and mm-hmm. everything, I've kind of tr- retrained my brain on how to watch movies. So for me to enjoy the Star Wars movie, I kind of had to turn off that like critical thinking podcaster yeah. mode and just kind of sit with my popcorn and enjoy the film. For sure. I, yeah, I think what Last Jedi did really well that uh, this new one didn't is it like actually kind of had an original storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I agree like this as a Skywalker, definitely from a critical perspective didn't really do much for me but like as a fan of the series um you know it was fun it was funnier than most i thought c3po was great he had a lot of good one-liners um but yeah i actually saw it a second time because the first time i saw it at 8 a.m on the opening weekend and it was like that was the only time we could find it and i fell asleep in the middle of the movie <laughs> <laughs> and i thought i just like dozed off but when i saw it the second time i realized i missed like 20 minutes oh, <laughs> so wow. it was definitely required a rewatch yeah um and then besides that i also watched irishman i know that's one that you mentioned previously on the pod um i just like i heard from people that it was you know it didn't feel like three and a half hours and it went by quickly and that it was like really exciting mm-hmm. and i like i enjoyed it i enjoyed kind of the storytelling and how scorsese kind of like weaves history into his his films a bit like kind of quentin tarantino does um but i don't know it's just like it didn't strike me like some of the other big contenders this year so you weren't surprised that they didn't win anything yet no i i think we'll get to that during our golden globes section i right. think that has more to do with um the hollywood foreign press and the academy's kind of resistance to netflix as mm-hmm. a disruptor in this like entertainment industry yeah. um so I mean I was I was surprised. I mean I thought Al Pacino did a great job as Jimmy Hoffa, like and among the field of nominated actors that he was in with, like I you know mm-hmm. I thought he he very well could have won, but um I think it was Brad Pitt that ended up winning for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, right. which was kind of a head scratch Al Pacino's performance, but yeah. Nonetheless. But we'll get to that. But before um we both saw uncut gems yes. and this you never really know when adam sandler is going to emerge from like lowbrow comedy sets um you know right to really like, making something but but when he does which is definitely what we saw in uncut gems um it was it's pretty fascinating i mean definitely working with josh and benny safdie um if you're not familiar with them They are directing brothers who have slowly but definitely surely emerged into the larger cinematic conversation, I would say, um, by kind of making these small but very effective, stylish films. Yeah, and and they kind of center around these crime thrillers, right? You know, they're not necessarily the most, like, thematic films, Mm -hmm. um, but they're very fast-paced crime thrillers, the ones that um, listeners might recognizes a little bit more mainstream or, or widespread was good time mm-hmm. featuring robert pattinson that came out i think two years ago um but yeah i think i think the effect that they really succeeded with was this sort of like frantic fast-paced like anxiety inducing um 
almost like claustrophobic um, pacing of their film that just like kept keeps you constantly engaged throughout the film. Yeah, and we see the so the main character Howard Ratner played obviously mm-hmm. by Adam Sandler. He's a Jewish jewelry store owner in Midtown Manhattan with a pretty severe gambling addiction. Um, but it's very severe. Yeah, yeah very. <laughs> but he he still like comes off as nothing but like super confident the entire movie and um his fatal flaw pretty much is putting his trust in others to do as they say they're going to do when it comes to like the jewels that he has in his stores and pretty much Mm -hmm. like relying on luck and intuition to fill in like the empty blanks that people don't come through on their end and it's just it's he's a it's it's a sad movie to watch this guy kind of like have this addiction and um had to deal with all these things that are happening. Uh did you kind of feel as you were watching it that you were kind of rooting for him through the movie or were you kind of on the other end like he kind of getting what he reaped what he sowed? Yeah, to me like I think we had this conversation after we both saw the film about like whether or not to feel bad mm-hmm. for for Howard Ratner. And to me like I really couldn't feel bad for him because like you said, I think he reaped what he sowed and he really like put himself into these circumstances and it's, you know, basically the movie finds him in this like gambling debt hole where he's obligated to pay back these collectors who threaten him both physically and like verbally or emotionally. Um, But even when he has opportunities to make things right with them, he makes these really like head scratching decisions um to basically dig himself deeper into this hole with this sort of like like you said almost like outlandishly confident um idea that he's gonna like he's gonna hit even bigger he's gonna like he's gonna swing the odds so much more ever in his favor that Mm -hmm. it's just like it's like how it's hard to imagine that there are people out there who really live like that who you know if they have some sort of like small come up the, the first thought is like how am i gonna like use this to like gamble and like double my money or right. like what's my next like hustle or, or something like that so i i didn't really feel bad for him what about you yeah so when i was watching it i kind of felt like the audience really didn't have a choice but to root for howard um mm-hmm. even when he gets out of a jam and you know promptly like leaps into another one when he should be pretty much like kissing the ground and like thanking like <laughs> right. everything like oh thank god for like my new life and i'm finally out of this hole and <clears throat> um i would say that i would say that howard ratner is the ultimate adam sandler role if i didn't think maybe adam sandler is the ultimate kind of howard ratner role right um i think one of the biggest things about this role for adam sandler is just the way he kind of embodies the character and definitely like his eyes i don't know it was weird like when i was watching the movie i don't know if it was the glasses he was wearing um he just had like these dead eyes the whole movie Mm -hmm. and i think this kind of makes him stand out a lot more and definitely come through as an actual character um, which you can kind of relate to um but yeah i did feel for him i was rooting for him the whole movie even though i would like 
facepalm myself and just like, what are yeah. you doing? Like, <laughs> I know there there were like audible groans throughout the theater at like every turn in the movie. You mm-hmm. could just like tell the audience was like, what is this guy doing? But yeah. I, I thought that was really interesting. The comment you made about his like dead eyes. Mm-hmm. I, I think of of his like more serious roles. You know, obviously like Spanglish, uh, Rain Over Me, or like Funny People were more serious roles. But I mean, like even in Funny People, he basically played himself. Mm-hmm. I think this was definitely his, his most like transformative role. Yeah. Um, and I think the comment you made about his eyes was interesting because like they did felt that same way about his sort of dead eyes. Mm-hmm. But what I noticed was the way they would like light up when like for instance he received that like precious opal that he got from africa or like when he like won a bet or 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 when he like makes it to his like mistress's apartment like they like they like lit up in these moments that like really showed you that his primary motivation is like money Mm -hmm. and like sex and just like degeneracy if that's even a word like he's just (laughs) he's just a degenerate like yeah um, and you definitely see like in the movie like it slowly peels back like the layers and how many places like Howard has his money mm-hmm. and as like all the places he owes it. And you kind of can see how it's just going to unravel into like this big chaos at the end and yeah, how unhealthy it is pretty much. And I would say aside from Kevin Garnett, I think the rest of the supporting cast is like super strong. Mm-hmm. You didn't like Kevin Garnett's performance? Um, <laughs> I thought it was a little... I don't know. Whenever, so I enjoyed it because I'm a Celtics fan, and yeah. Kevin Garnett <laughs> is one of my favorite players of all time. And um, you could probably argue that Rondo hitting that three in the movie was one of the more exciting parts of the movie as well. <laughs> um, but yeah, not something you see every day. Yeah, I just something about not just Kevin Garnett, but actors or celebrities who play themselves in films. I feel like they have to come across a little bit bigger than what they actually are, who they actually are. Mm-hmm. Like he kind of elevated himself in the role and um, I don't think it was necessary, but what do I know? I mean, I'm not a famous basketball player. Yeah. I think really the only thing that he could add value with was like trying to add this sort of like transfixation over this like gem that he wanted. Mm-hmm. I think he did a pretty good job of that, but he played a very limited role, but yeah. And then I think um, the one who, the character who particularly stood out to me was, um, was Lakeith Stanfield? Stanfield? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he was kind of like the middleman between Howard and Garnett. And he stood out pretty well to me. And um, that was a unique role for me to see him play as well because I, I originally saw him in the show Dead to Me. And mm-hmm. on Netflix, and then I saw him again in Knives Out, and this is like a completely different role for him to play. Like this, I wouldn't call him a thug, but he's just kind of like this kind of hype Aaron man, Aaron boy, mm-hmm. or like the rich and famous. Yeah, and I think this um, this movie probably will do, do so well just with like popular culture. It was packed with cameos with rappers and musicians. Mm-hmm. I mean. Kevin Garnett and The Weeknd alone were, you know, enough to allure a lot of people. But I mean, like Trinidad James makes an appearance um, as one of, I think, Kevin Garnett's posse. Mm -hmm. But, but yeah, I I did like Lakey Stanfield's performance. Um, And and the supporting cast, 
as a whole was really good. I think Julia Fox, who made her first, um, I think this was her first major like film role. Yeah. Um, I thought she was, you know, I think her primary role was kind of act as like eye candy for the story, but I think mm-hmm. she did, you know, like a, a pretty good job. Um, but to me, I, I think the thing that it, like I left the theater wondering the most is like the Safdie brothers have this tendency to produce these like crime th- thrillers, right? And I don't think like for to take Good Time for example, I don't think that one would, like really had like a theme or like a message they were trying to convey. It was just like a really engrossing story, right? So to me, I left the theater wondering like what what message, if anything, were they trying to tell, or was this again like Good Time? Uh, in that vein of just like trying to tell like a really compelling fast-paced and entertaining story um and i think basically what you said about like like all of like the things that howard had his hands in that basically like unraveled into this like raucous um untenable and just like um mess kind of speaks to like the effect that you know living beyond your means or overextending yourself or gambling or this kind of like avarice and love of money and like desire for like the next big hit or the next big win um is ultimately going to be like your undoing um without getting too much into spoil um you know i I think that's kind of like a common theme that runs through the most crime thrillers um you know i was just kind of like wondering what what were they trying to tell right and i would definitely say that the safety brothers they they do a great job and they're definitely continuing their winning streak of making like these harshly real films, mm-hmm. um, which coincidentally have to be like about everyday New Yorkers with fatal flaws. It seems like. Right. <clears throat> um, because I, th- I yeah. think they are New York natives is why they typically tell New York stories. Oh, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I think, but this time I think that they've also given kind of um, this platform for Adam Sandler to show just how good he is with the right collaborators and I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not dying to see the next dramatic Adam Sandler movie um, <laughs> right but I think if he comes out with one of these movies like maybe one every three to four years um, I think it'll be good to see it's definitely um, more refreshing than a Billy Madison film sure yeah so with that how do you feel like uh, so obviously on uncut gems missed the like screening date in order for it to be eligible for the golden globes mm-hmm. um and sometimes the golden globes can give you kind of an, a direction in terms of the oscars yep. uh, i think we, we know from the public kind of messaging that sandler's put out there is that he is very heavily vying for a best actor nod how how do you feel like this role helps him stack up in that field for best actor so i think it definitely increases his chance because again it is kind of like i mentioned before kind of refreshing it's kind of like wow um this is adam sandler in a serious role that was actually very well done so Mm -hmm. from the standpoint of just being relative i think that has a lot to do with sometimes the um academy's decision is like what's standing out the most what's what, what are people talking about um what is new this year um and i think that just being a completely different formula for his performances in the past i think it gives him pretty pretty good nudge on certainly being nominated and um, mm-hmm. pretty having having a uh, pretty good chance to win 
I wouldn't be upset yeah. if he won, I guess. No, I don't I don't think I would either. Um I think he would be if he didn't win. Mm -hmm. uh, I think he's been he's been out in the press basically saying that like if he doesn't win best actor, he's just going to go and make like another Jack and Jill or like <laughs> basically like lowbrow like fart humor Adam Sandler movie. So mm -hmm. um I'm kind of pulling for him. Yeah, but for the um Golden Globes, they they happened um, Sunday, two nights ago, mm -hmm. and yep. <clears throat> so, well, to start off with, so this year, um, Ricky Gervais, he was the host, and I was not super impressed with his performance. Um, he yeah. certainly didn't seem like he even wanted to be there. I think he even made the comment that he didn't really want to be there, and in terms of like him like roasting everyone which is kind of like standard <laughs> with like these like award shows it was kind of just like right. i don't know a little cringy at some times and um i don't know why he was considered i don't think he's been in a movie or a tv show in a few years but how did you think about him as a host well, in terms of him being even considered, I think it's hard for these award shows to find actors that don't have some sort of like discretion in their past or like indiscretion in their past that people will like vilify them for. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you saw Kevin Hart basically get green lighted for the Oscars and then revoked because of um, some like comments or acts in the past. So, you know, I think they have kind of slim pickings. But yeah, I mean, the Golden Globes is like notorious for being overly boozy mm -hmm. um, and kind of edgy. Um, and, you know, I think some of his jokes landed, but um, some of them got in the vein of being, like, overtly political. Um, you know, I, I think he made some pointed comments about, like, people basically enabling Harvey Weinstein, which is, like, um, you know, I thought it was pretty spot on. But I think for the most part, his, like, tone was very, like, negative and not in a way that was, like, making fun a lot of the times. Like even at the end of the show he basically like they were running over and he was just like jesus like this is the end of the show like i'm glad it's over like mm -hmm. basically dismissed the whole show um so yeah i i don't think he did the best job of like i guess steering the show into more of like a positive light right and side note cat somehow scored a nomination um, yeah <laughs> yeah which has been like <laughs> tragically like basically dragged through the mud with the press like yeah i saw their that whole thing of week. like you did see cats yeah and i i fell asleep <laughs> uh, i just it was i was kind of tired i was not feeling well i had a little bit of a cold but um yeah it, yeah, it was rough but it, we saw the nominations were pretty like they ranged pretty far and wide um, we definitely saw multiple nods for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, The Irishman, Barry, um, 1917, and even The Joker. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, I was really surprised. The, the movie was great, um, but, you know, The Hangover Guy is really surprising us. Yeah, I. so I think, yeah, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood led with three wins, and I think 1917 was second with two. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and then obviously Joaquin uh, won Best Actor for Drama for Joker. Um, Taron Edgerton won Best Actor for Musical or Comedy for his portrayal of um, Elton John, Rocket Man. Um, 
the, the one thing that stood out to me is Joaquin Phoenix is a strange guy. Um, I couldn't tell if it's just sort of he, he's like known for being very like shy and antisocial. So I, I don't know if that was what was playing through speech or if he was just like under the influence of something. something. But yeah, yeah, because he was like hardly intelligible. Um, and I could tell he was trying to make a point about, you know, everybody talking about uh, climate change or what's going on in Australia and like asking actors to do things differently, like not take private jets to award shows or like, you know, take mega yacht trips to, you know, charity events. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, him, he's just a strange guy. Um, and still in his Joker role, maybe. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you saw what it did to Heath Ledger, Mm -hmm. but, um, yeah, I, I think one of the biggest things that stood out for me was um, how bad of a day it was for Netflix. Um, so you obviously saw uh, The Irishman, Marriage Story, and I believe Dolomite is my name. Um, I think Netflix had a total of about 17 nominations and only ended up taking home one Golden Globe for Laura Dern's uh, supporting actress role in, in Marriage Story. Um, and I mean, you at one point you know there were two nominations for the irishman in one actor category neither of which won mm-hmm. um so I, I think like we were talking earlier it seems like maybe there's still some resistance to netflix um trying to kind of disrupt this very antiquated like entertainment industry yeah and it's unfortunate because netflix has a lot of really good things out there mm-hmm. um, their original tv shows are phenomenal i'm I'm finishing up on you right now and it didn't start off as a Netflix original, but they've definitely taken ownership over and that show is really great. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I can go on and on, but yeah, it's, there's definitely some, something like what you're talking about going on. And I don't know if it's kind of, you have these older, more traditional people kind of in charge of what's happening and mm-hmm. and we see this with other things as well, whether it's in sports, um, rule changes, or you see it with like in our in our government for like different policies or whatever. Like it seems things aren't as progressive as they should be, and they're not as up to date as most people would like them to be. So I'm hoping that changes for the the Oscars. Um, but in terms of when you were mentioning. Um, actress in a supporting role mm-hmm. you said lord dern won um i definitely agree with that out of that list she definitely deserved that win um but in terms of the best director i mm-hmm. i i think i think um martin scorsese for the irishman should have won that um obviously i haven't seen 1917 yet it's not out yet um so that could change but yeah i the best director category was i think probably the most difficult to decide for me um again like you said i haven't seen 1917 but you know having one best picture drama and best director makes me really compelled to see it when it does come out mm-hmm. um and i'm a big a fan of sam mendes mainly because i'm a huge james bond fan and i thought skyfall was one of the better uh, of daniel craig's james bond movies right um but yeah, that one was, was really hard because I also thought that um, Bong Joon-ho did a really tremendous job with Parasite. Mm-hmm. 
um, which actually ended up winning for best foreign language film. Um, so it was just like a lot of really, really, um, like highly touted directors. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, I don't know that I can say like Scorsese deserved best director for me. Hmm. Um, mainly just because I'm not a fan of like the mega film. Right. I just, I don't think you need three and a half hours to tell a story. Even that story, which was so rich in detail, like I think could have been trimmed down a little bit. Yeah. And I, I remember seeing once upon a time in Hollywood kind of when it first came out, that was, when was that September, October? I think it was, no, I believe it was like in the summer. I thought it was like oh, June. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I don't know. I I enjoy Quentin Tarantino's films. I I wasn't a super big fan of mm -hmm. uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but and I and I kind of think with I guess Martin Scorsese is the same. Each director has their own way of directing, and that kind of bleeds through all their films. Mm -hmm. um, but especially for Quentin Tarantino, it kind of it was like the same old thing that I've always seen in like Reservoir Dogs and. And right. Pulp Fiction. It wasn't anything new to me, I guess. And that movie was long yeah. as well. Yeah, I feel like Quentin Tarantino. And I believe this is his last, um, or his second to last film. I his style is just getting kind of like tired. Yeah. Um, it's really hard to. You just kind of expect the same. Like I, I enjoyed Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but I don't know. And and he's another example of a strange guy. I don't know if you saw him accepting his award for best screenplay for once upon a time in hollywood but he basically like thanked himself he was like well usually when i accept screenplay awards i don't really thank others because i'm the one that wrote it he's like me 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 yeah. so I don't, he's just a weird guy yeah it was um, cool that um what's his name for parasite um i can't pronounce his name bong joon ho bong joon ho yeah yeah he was kind of saying how you know, if you can get if you can get over those one inch subtitles at the bottom of the screen, like it open up, mm -hmm. it opens up your whole world to vastly more movies and and quality movies, which is true. Because to be honest, I've I've certainly neglected foreign films. I haven't seen a whole lot. Um, I know Parasite we've seen, and then we talked about um, Mommy or Mom Mama, the like Swedish one. Oh yeah, yeah, like those um, are like one of the the two the two better foreign films that I've seen, but I mean, out of like the five or six I've seen in total. Yeah. I, I think honestly, out of all the acceptance speeches, his was probably one of my favorites just because it was so succinct. He made that point about getting past subtitles. And then he was like, you know, I think we can all, we all understand one language and that's cinema. And that was basically the extent of like what he could say. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, no, I, I, I thought that was probably like, one of the better acceptance speeches just because he didn't like he didn't give himself an opportunity to mess up right yeah and then I, the last thing i want to uh touch on for the golden globes is mm -hmm. um the best television series drama mm -hmm. succession winning have you seen that show at all no i haven't seen succession before but i've heard from friends um that it's an amazing show um mm -hmm. yeah i haven't gotten the chance yet yeah so i really enjoyed that show and i think comparative 
who was up against like the morning show like no killing eve yeah no the crown not so much and then like big little lies like yeah those i think the first season of big little lies was really great but um it doesn't seem like it was a very strong year for drama television series in general yeah and i think that kind of fills a hole that um game of thrones is left behind um and i think handmaid's tale is usually one that gets nominated but i don't know if it wasn't eligible or if it just wasn't nominated this year mm-hmm. um but yeah it seems like a bit of a changing of the guard yeah um but i guess while we're and then oh sorry go ahead no go ahead go ahead i was gonna say just in terms of looking back on mm-hmm. this year as a whole um i figured and you mentioned before that we're kind of looking back on the year of 2019 on things that we really enjoyed um moments shows movies did you want to kind of start off with um what you thought about 2019 as a whole for cinema yeah so i mean i there were probably a few trends um that really stood out to me so we we saw the highest grossing film of all time in avengers endgame um which i I thought was an, a good addition to the Marvel series. Um, but as a whole, Disney brought in $11 billion total um, in a year, basically from like Avengers, Lion King, Star Wars, Aladdin, um, which just get, kind of shows you the power that they have over the, this entertainment. Um, and then a big thing that I noticed was, you know, there's been kind of a, a calling for more diversity and more inclusion in filmmaking. Um, and of the top 100 grossing films, women directed 12 of those. So about 10.6% uh, women directors, where the year before that we had about 4.5%. Um, but you still really didn't see that pan out with any awards. You know, for instance, in the Golden Globes, um, in the best director category, there wasn't a single female um, director. Um, and of those 100, or of those... 10% of women, only a third of those were women of color. Um, and the point I'm trying to arrive at is that I think you were talking about this earlier that Netflix does so well in so many areas, it's like hard to understand why people aren't accepting of them. Um, of Netflix original movies in 2019, 20% were women directors. So that's nearly double of what, um, you know, the rest of the industry was was doing. Um, and I think that really establishes Netflix as sort of this this leader in not only like originality but um, inclusion and diversity. So that was one of the big things I noticed. Yeah. Did you have any um, any any favorite movies that we haven't talked about that were kind of just kind of there and not really nominated, but you really enjoyed watching, or that kind of stood mm. out to you? I don't know about any that we haven't talked about on the show. I could tell you I know for sure what the worst movie I saw in 2019 (laughs) was. Um, And fittingly, it came near the beginning of the year when you see a lot of kind of the mediocre films released. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was a film called Serenity starring Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway. Uh, I I don't know if you got the chance to see that movie. No, I did not. Uh, It was so terribly written and terribly directed to the point that even like even like the sex scenes in the movie which are normally like sort of a a reproach for terribly written or terribly directed movies were like cringy and uncomfortable um and it was like based on such a stupid premise that like 
the movie had like no chance of succeeding before it even began and it it was kind of full of those like matthew mcconaughey like is it pontiac or oh what, what is lincoln the, yeah the lincoln commercials it was mm-hmm. basic like i feel like that is like that is his role from now on <laughs> is sort of the like lincoln sort of like pontificating into like the the distant into the distance and like uh it was just i remember me and shannon like walked out of the movie just like wow what a waste of like 20 bucks (laughs) wow yeah for me um one of the the top movies that i saw um that kind of stuck with me for a long time and i was like man i don't know what's gonna beat this movie Mm -hmm. um was definitely uh jordan peele's us Hmm. um i was kind of taken away from when i saw it the first couple times and um but again, you don't really see like those horror films standing out in in the in the um award categories. But yeah, I I really enjoyed that movie. Um I think the originality that it had was really cool. Um Jordan Peele obviously had a great great run with Get Out. And then now when we get to our looking forward to 2020, his Antebellum movie did he write that movie? Uh, I think it's from the same producers, same producers, but it's not. Yeah. Um. Well, I'm looking forward to that one as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. I guess you know, in terms of things we haven't talked about on the show, I really enjoyed Midsommar, mm-hmm. um, as sort of like a thriller, almost horror movie. Um. And The Farewell was another movie that I saw in the summer that I, I thought was really great. And of course, Aquafina won um a golden globe for her performance in that film but i thought it was just kind of like a heartwarming um pretty tightly directed and tightly acted movie that i really enjoyed Mm -hmm. did you see um john wick chapter three no i still have never seen john wick Mm two so i like i loved the first john wick i thought it was amazing um yeah so i i'd like to see it but i want to make sure i watch them in order yeah, so that movie was I've always enjoyed the John Wick series. It's it's not quite on the level of James Bond for me. Definitely mm-hmm. James Bond is ahead of John Wick. Um but certainly certainly in front of like Jason Bourne. Sure. Um but yeah, I just think yeah. the, the storyline <laughs> that John Wick kind of carries the the atmosphere is really great. Keanu Reeves, not the best actor in the world, but the way he kind of portrays just kind of like this calm, silent, always on the run assassin. Yeah. Um, it's definitely pretty cool. And I think that this year was even stronger for Keanu Reeves as a whole. I think when, when John yeah. Wick 3 came out, I think in May, um, it seems like all over Twitter, all over the internet, there's always something about like Keanu Reeves and he kind of like became like, Hollywood sweetheart everyone was like taking pictures with him and kind of saying how he's kind of back in Hollywood and um yeah so good good for you Keanu Reeves if if you're listening (laughs) hopefully (laughs) (laughs) but in terms Um, of in terms of um other things in 2019 shows there have been a lot of good shows i we certainly don't have the time to go through all of the shows that we've watched and that we've enjoyed um did you have anything that stood out to you in terms of tv shows yeah i think the one that 
I really enjoyed the most was Fleabag, mm-hmm. which um, also won a couple Golden Globes this year for you know both the series as a comedy and um, Phoebe Waller-Bridge's portrayal of the titular character Fleabag. Um, I thought it was it was an amazing show. Um, I think it's done now after two seasons, mm-hmm. um, which kind of continues this trend of like one two season shows like Bodyguard or or some others, but. Um, I really enjoyed that. I love the way that she kind of breaks down the fourth wall in the show. And I think it's like really brilliantly written. It's really funny and at times like sad. And mm-hmm. I, I thought it was great. Yeah. And I would say um, for me in terms of TV shows, mm-hmm. we talked about Barry a lot. And that's definitely a show that's on my top list for 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of, I got away from Watchmen. I did not really care for that show. I know it's being regarded pretty highly, but mm-hmm. um, I kind of got away from it. But I would say, for me, um, aside from Succession, I would probably say that one of my top shows is um, Russian Doll on Netflix. So if you haven't seen Russian Doll, it's it's like the perfect like dessert, I guess. It's It's kind of trippy. It's pretty experimental yet it has depth and kind of like a weight to its kind of zany storyline and it it pretty much explores the afterlife of these two characters each stuck in a time loop reliving their last days before they die um so if you haven't seen russian doll i definitely recommend it and it kind of asks those those bigger questions if you're into that sure mm-hmm. yeah and i guess looking ahead at 2020 you can almost kind of continue the conversation around netflix mm-hmm. um so you know we have a, a lot of big blockbusters that are kind of due for this year you know uh, the bond the 25th uh, installment of the bond franchise is coming out no time to die mm-hmm. um we're seeing like a black widow standalone film uh, live action mulan film right uh, Top Gun, West Side Story, you name it. There's going to be like a lot of huge movies this year. But the the biggest thing for me about 2020 is that, and you, you sort of saw this last year too, is that a majority of the blockbusters or even like the the ones contending for awards are are like sequels or, or remakes or adaptations of some or or part of a franchise. And I think what's so promising about Netflix again is its originality. Um, like you said, there's just such a, a a breadth of original films and TV shows and Netflix has already basically come out and said that they have at least 30 original movies that they're planning on releasing in 2020 mm-hmm. um, and that that barely even like scratches the surface like that, that's all they're really like prepared to speak on at the moment but like there's more out there so that that's really the thing that stands out to me about 2020 is there anything that's striking you about um, movies or TV shows to come in the new year so I'm in terms of movies, I'm I'm looking forward to um, Guy Ritchie's new film, The Gentleman, which kind of like if you haven't seen like Snatch or like Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels, like this is definitely a return for him to kind of like these English crime mm-hmm. comedies that um, I think it's going to be really fun to watch and kind of um, – like I said, because I really enjoyed Snatch, um, 
and lock stock and two smoking barrels. So if it kind of has the same feel for it, I think that would be great. And in terms of shows, I would probably say I'm looking forward to Westworld uh, season three to come back. Yeah, yeah, Westworld season three will be will be fun. Um, Shannon and I are huge uh, Handmaid's Tale, Handmaid's Tale uh, mm-hmm. fans. I believe season four will be coming out this year. Um, in terms of, of movies, for me, there's one that really stands out that we've only recently learned a bit more about, and that's Christopher Nolan's new film, Tenet. Um, yeah. I think Christopher Nolan's films kind of carry... They're, they're going to attract large audiences just because of his name. I mean, with the reputation he made for himself with the Batman movies and with Shin, um, you know, I, I think pe- people people are like going to come to the movies because of his name. But, but um, this new film starring um, John David Washington and Robert Pattinson, among others, um, looks really intriguing because it, it's, you know, Christopher Nolan's kind of signature action film with another sort of like mind um sort of like mind bending like themes about time and the future and the past and things like that so yeah um that's what i'm really looking forward to as well and then um i think some i would say some things that are coming up in 2020 that i'm looking forward to but not because um you know they're coming out but because they're kind of getting these much deserved swan songs if you would mm-hmm. i mean, um the good place is coming right. back for its final season um and i think so is some other pretty top shows like homeland uh, if you haven't seen homeland uh, modern family and mm-hmm. criminal minds even is all wrapping up this year are all in their final seasons wow mm-hmm. yep so devastating going to be sad but definitely um great shows that you know almost good thing all good things must come to an end that's right but yeah i would say um next week we'll probably dive into some other movies that are coming out um this week this weekend we don't really have anything on the schedule yet but certainly send us your feedback we are on twitter now um as we mentioned before it's at coast podcast um if you're listening to us on anchor you can actually send in questions um with i think there's like an audio recording section that you can just record a question and then send it to us and we can play it on air and respond to you that way um Mm -hmm. and i would say yeah yeah and and kyle and i recognize that um you know the podcast initially started as kind of covering a multitude of topics amongst them um gaming and i know something we haven't talked about in a while um as well as like sports is something we haven't touched on in the past um, both of those things are things that we're really passionate about. Um, so if you feel like there are aspects of the show that you are more endeared towards or you'd like to hear more of, definitely reach out and let us know because we want to make sure we're giving you guys what you want. Um, and again, yeah, we're always an open ear, so feel free to reach out with any feedback. Thanks again for listening. If you're on Apple, Spotify, don't Yeah, we will talk to you next week. See you then.